one day in last September, as far as I remember, I was walking <laughs> the street with manly pride. My heart was all aflutter when I fell into the gutter and I found a pig lying by my side. My heart was all aflutter as I lay there in the gutter and a lady passing by was heard to say, You can tell the man who boozes by the company he chooses. And the rubbing pig got up and walked away. How's that? Hello and welcome to another episode of Impressions of America. I'm Simon and today is a very special episode of the podcast because not only do I have two guests joining me, but Toby is actually on location to speak with them. Alongside Toby is Steve Laws, a fellow history graduate, I believe, although he might also be studying art. And sitting next to them both is legendary illustrator and artist Ralph Steadman. Hello, Ralph, Steve and Toby. Hello. Which legend are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I mean, I was going to go for Toby, but Ralph, you're a legend as well. So. <laughs> I, am, I am a legend. This is <laughs> a, a, a legend in his own bedroom. Uh, <laughs> uh, legends here. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm very glad that we've got four legends on a podcast. It's off to a very good start. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> Ralph is known for his style of art as much for the subjects that he illustrates, with his amazing use of ink making Ralph one of the most iconic artists of modern times. Ralph is perhaps most famous for his collaborations with the legendary gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson, along with his work in newspaper and magazines, and illustrating books such as Animal Farm and Alice in Wonderland. Ralph is also known for his political illustrations, which will be the main focus of today's podcast. Ralph, could you tell us a bit about the power of political art and what you think makes a good political illustri- illustration or cartoon? Well, one quite useful um, attribute of, of, a dra- of, a, of a political drawing is to recognise instantly, in, no matter what part of the anatomy you draw them as, but uh, that they look just like the very person they are. I mean, if they're, if, they're a, if they're terrible people, you can make them look worse. <laughs> <laughs> and that, to me, is important, if you can do that. So, um, it was because, as I've just said, said before we started this interview, that when I started, I wanted to change the world. And six years later, I, I feel as though I've... I've succeeded because it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel that revealing um, what the person truly is, is, is what you're trying to do and what political satirists try yes, to they, do? They, I think what you try to do is um, uh, draw them, not necessarily as a human being, it can be any kind of creature that you wish to impose on them mm-hmm. and make scenes. I mean, if they're real sons of SOBs, you know, um, they really do look like an SOB in some way. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's important to get that, that, that um, animal essence in, into, into it. And I'm not being... I'm not trying to be uh, unkind to animals. (laughs) (laughs) 
remember that. Sometimes, I mean, pigs, for instance, I've used many times at an animal farm, and mm -hmm. but um, and it was Boxer in in Animal Farm too, the lovely horse. Uh, and in that, I tried to bring nobility. So in the all these things, all these drawings I've done over the years, I have gone through a period where I really believed what I was doing and what I was doing was actually having some effect. Mm -hmm. But I realize now, 60 years later, that it's worse now than it <laughs> ever was. <laughs> so, like, you use pigs a lot in Gonzo the Art. You had a... I have them, but as I say, I try not to be unkind to pigs because they're rather intelligent creatures. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And they do look a bit like us, actually. Their skin and everything has a, a pink rip. look. Hmm? They get a bad rep. Yeah, they do. I think they get a bad rep, yeah. So, with, with um, sort of all that about using animals in your work in mind, uh, you also said that uh, in the end politicians started to respond quite positively to, to your work and wanted to buy the originals. Why, why do you think they responded positively to sort of being satirised? I think they looked upon it as flattery. <laughs> you know, that you wanted to, you wanted to do, do a, a politician as a, a slug. Yeah. <laughs> they want to buy the original. You know, the, the, the worse it is, yeah. the more they like to have it. Because I think they think they've achieved something when when you really show the worst side you can possibly think of or imagine about them that they somehow it, 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 the, the biggest insult attracts the the sort of biggest ego right you know hmm. it's very strange how that appears to work. The worse the image, the, the sort of... The worse the image, the better the it is. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> do you think, like, once they get an image from you, do, they, do you think that they feel like they've become part of history almost? In a way, you could say. It depends where it appeared, you know. If it appeared in Rolling Stone, a, that's quite good. Right, yeah. And with the Hunter Thompson article, I think they like to be written about by Hunter Thompson. Yeah. I think that, that worked a lot. And I think... It worked well with Hunter because we were so different. Mm -hmm. I was the innocent abroad, from abroad, you know, from England, <laughs> and uh, um, he used to have six Bloody Marys delivered on a breakfast tray first thing in the morning. But <laughs> <laughs> you said he was also like a health freak as well. He would also eat healthily and then. Have like he pretended phases when to be, he pretended yeah, to right. be, yeah, but he was getting himself in a bad mess. Uh, you know, I think the problem was it was too weak. You see, he used to people offer him a tablet of what God knows what uh -huh. it would be, and Hunter would eat it first. He'd pretty much drop it, you know, swallow it, and say, "What was that?" <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. So early on, how did you develop a political sense? Like, what, what were your political influences early on? Was it the war or was it...? It was part of the war, I think, because I was in the Blitz as well. Mm -hmm, yeah, which Hunter wasn't. No, Hunter didn't know anything about that. But, um, but he, he was very savvy about things and wanted to write about... Uh, well, he wanted to write stories about politicians. 
you know, that, that really a politician was the kind of story for him. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what he really wanted to do, was a storyteller. And um, he always came up with the the right turn of phrase. I mean, when I, I first met him, I, um, I looked, we looked for each other for, for, for three days. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I asked and asked. Like the, and the uh, maelstrom of the Kentucky Derby, you know. Yeah, the Kentucky Derby, yeah. and then knocking on the, well, not stopping where they put, place your bets mm -hmm. and saying, have you seen a, I believe he's tall, man, uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Was With a really long neck. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And uh, there's a low voice, he's very, speak like that, he doesn't, <laughs> we haven't seen him, so. Well, and then Hunter, when he found me, he they they said, "Oh, you wouldn't miss him. He's a weird." Because I had a little uh, goatee beard mm -hmm. at the time, and back then, in 1970, beards were not very popular, you know, especially in Kentucky. No, in Kentucky, <laughs> no. because now it's the other way around. People have beards, but they have their hair shaved. Oh yeah, so hair. you would have looked like some sort of countercultural weird, yeah. yeah. Odd. <laughs> and also, I didn't speak yeah, I didn't speak like yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like an Australian or whatever. But I, I just um, they sensed there was something peculiar, but they, and suddenly they shooting. So ground suddenly there's hun hun hunters up here, six foot five or something like that, and uh, he said. Uh, uh, excuse me, are you uh, Ross Simon, the uh, English illustrator? Yes, are you Hunter S. Thompson? Yeah. My God, they said you were weird, but not that weird. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, we he said, um, do you want to get a beer and talk for a minute? So I said, yeah, sure. We watched it. They were doing races before the main. Kentucky Derby, mm -hmm. and uh, he said, do you, do you bet? I said, um, well, no, not really. I, I bet once on uh, the um, Grand National as the English race uh, in 1954 on, on a, I remember the name of the horse, it was early mist, and I had two shillings, as it was shillings then, and I put. Um, Did he say um, this is not Ascot or something like that? Yeah, it was not Ascot. Well, he'd, grammar, he'd heard of the Grand National, you know. I think most people have. Yeah. Know, like most of the races. And uh, so I put my two shillings on it at 20 to 1, and it won. Uh, hey, pretty good. Why don't you <laughs> put, a, put a bet on here or something? So I said, I'll tell you what I said. I'll. Uh, um, what did I say? Did I put it? I, 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 I put a bet on. I picked the horse and bet a dollar or something, and it lost. So that's why I don't bet. Mm -hmm. But I'll choose, I'll pick one, and it'll win probably. And it usually did, you know. <laughs> so it's just a, a strange peculiarity, you know, of things. But that's how we got we got on quite well like that, you know.
but um, it was a strange. I mean, that first thing we did together was when he kicked me out of Kentucky. <laughs> don't, I'll see you. Yeah, it always seemed like he wasn't going to use your drawings at all. No, get the hell out of here. Yeah, no. But he, he actually found we got on well. Mm. And we got on well because we were so different, you know. Hunter sounds like quite a character, but some people have said that you were crazier than he was. <laughs> oh, well, you know, yeah, a lot of people used to say that, only because um, I didn't kind of fit in over there, you know, same as he did. But um, I think I think people just admired him for his, his turn of phrase and the way he just use the language it was just wonderful of all the people to meet in america i went there <laughs> you the found the, work. the guy found who the guy yeah. who you needed to find to... well I, I was asked by a guy called jc suarez said that he's from brooklyn and he said uh yeah i'd like to go to kentucky and meet XL Ginger, who just shaved his head. Andre Sanson, yeah, obviously. So, so uh, okay. Uh, what's Sounds like my phone calls to Steve. Yeah. <laughs> and then by the time, I'd, by the time I finished talking, I was calling him Johnson. This Hunter, Hunter Johnson. <laughs> no, no, he's a good one. Thompson. He's an XL Ginger. And he's written a book about that. And, uh, so I see. So it's Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. What's the S stand for? He didn't know at the time. And it's Stockton, actually, it stands for. And uh, as well, that sounds interesting. And what does he want? Well, he likes some drawings to go. He tried to get a hold of a cartoonist, some guy in America. Who was funnily enough on his way to England to a cartoon oh, yeah. competition? So they asked for me instead. You see, so uh, I um, found this is what I had to do: meet this XL Daniel. So he was only an XL Daniel, but you know they beat him up and put him in hospital. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after the, he was like the a leader, you know. he was like an ethnographer almost. He went to the XL Daniels. Right. He dug himself in, yeah. like learn about them, and yeah. then expose them, and wow. yeah, they were very yeah. happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. They put him in hospital. But while you were in New York, before you went to see Hunter, you you sort of took pictures of Skid right. Row, didn't you? No, I went, uh, yeah, I went all the way down there, and uh, down down to the bottom, to the Chinatown, and back up again. And I I had a pocket full of quarters. Because they were always coming up towards you. And I had a little camera called a Minox, and instead of doing that, take pictures, I'd hold it here, mm. and then I'd be able to do that. But I'd be able to get that picture as well before. Mm. You know, it's a dime, but it's a tough city to get started. In. <laughs> <laughs> and were you always fascinated with like the people who had, you know? Had hard luck in life. Yeah, I think so. In some peculiar way, I don't know why. Well, so I was making comments about it, mm. you know, by drawing them more. You know, mm. it was it was part of what I thought of as satire. You know, because what I was trying to do was satire, mm -hmm. which is humour with a, an edge. So, so uh, you know, did your ex 
when you went to America, how did your um, how how did it sort of compare to the UK in your mind at the time, and how did that influence the way you drew about both places? Uh, I could t I could feel the, the broader edge in America. You know, right. the people express themselves more openly. Did you? Yeah. yeah. No, that's right. Do you think that Americans act more? It's almost like they have this plastic middle class smile that they they put on. I think they quite like um, artificiality. Mm. You know. You know they. Yeah. And do you think like this feeling of artifice allowed you and Hunter to discover what America was really like? Yeah, I think that's what we were after. I mean, there was a thing we didn't get round to it, but we were going <laughs> to go everywhere in America. Oh, wow! Yeah, you know, to meet up, you know, and cover it, and do something. You do the drawings out of the right now, you know, and uh, we we go there and. Uh, and I also then what I've got a really fe good feeling about is we must do a Silk Road sometime. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to travel the Silk Road and uh, look for things that you know maybe weird, weird, weird uh, chemicals I could try. <laughs> who, know, who knows what chemicals are out there? He was prepared. He wanted to try all sorts of things like that. Yeah, you could have done like a fifty-state album almost. You, you went to yeah, you could have done you went to Kentucky. States, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we've been hovering around this. So what what is Gonzo? What Gonzo, is, yeah. ah, Gonzo. Well, well, the word we found out uh, is a Portuguese word, and it means hinge. <laughs> hinge, and I figure that hinge is called Gonzo because hinge is we're unhinged. Yes. You know, we're doing stuff that's just unhinged. Ah. You know, the opposite of. But it's a Portuguese word. And we found it out from uh, Bill Cordoza, who came up with it. He said when he saw that first Kentucky uh, Derby piece we did about it being depraved and so forth, um, he said, hey man, that's pure gonzo. And Hans said, gonzo? What the fuck's gonzo? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he hadn't heard it before, you know. So he said, I like that word. Gonzo, yeah, okay. It's Gonzo. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, that's the way it was. So Gonzo. In some ways, he was almost a child. Hmm. You know, Super the, open. the yeah. freeness. He, childhood. He, he express surprise, you know, quite openly. He wouldn't sort of pretend to know all about it. I mean, that's one thing he was not. He wasn't. He wasn't a phony in any way. Hmm. You know, he actually. Expressed himself, and then his, his use of language was quite marvelous. So, Gonzo's a lot of the stories and a lot of the journalism at the time is quite objective. They're trying to get at what was happening. Yes, so Gonzo is about. So it came out in a satiric kind of way. Yeah. Mm. But what's the what's the art of Gonzo? And is it in some ways tied to say artists like George Gross in Weimar Germany? George or... Gross, yes. What, 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 well, he was, he was a big, big influence on me. He was a big influence, and so was André Francois, was another one, and Saul Steinberg. Was and, and Goya one. as well? Goya, very much so, yeah. Where did you get from them? Hmm? Uh, well, Hogarth as well, as, as, you know, mm. and Cruikshank. All those Hogarth? Things, Hogarth, marvellous, you know, mm -hmm. and I did a series of yeah, Hogarth, Schmogarth. <laughs> <laughs> well, so do you feel like you're a moralist like Hogarth? 
Uh, I don't know where I was there because, I, as I say, I was trying to change the world, but I wasn't <laughs> sure what I was trying to change it to. Mm -hmm. It was odd. You feel like Hogarth had his fixed no. principles and you knew... You see, I didn't start off as an artist. I, 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 my first job was I wanted to build aeroplanes. Oh, wow. And uh, I kind of I used to build my dad I've got some in the back room now. <laughs> and um, uh, that's all I wanted to do was go to the Havilland Aircraft Company and make airplanes. And what I didn't realise was how awful it was working in a factory. Yeah. And so I didn't want. To, and I, nine months later, I, I tell my mother that I'm sorry, I can't take this. This is so boring. My mother was so upset because she thought that's what I wanted to do in life. So, and uh, um, I had a, a brother-in-law called uh, Ron, Ron Howard Davis, and he he um, he was a he was a, a, a careers officer, but you know, and he helped people start careers and. He actually got me a job as a stock boy, a stock boy, a stockroom boy in Woolworths, Holwyn <laughs> Bay in North Wales. <laughs> so, <laughs> and there was a rather bullying under manager there, didn't like me, and he ended up trying to, uh, you know, knock me about. Was this feeling like in, in, say, sort of a Fordist factory or feeling in? Woolworths under quite oppressive authority figure. Is that like to your feelings that you have always tried to escape well, I find, authority? Well, yeah, I find authority is the mask of violence. Authority is the mask of violence, yeah. yeah. And um, it's, it's disgusting when you see some people who are in authority, places of authority, positions of authority, and they express it in a rather bullying kind of way sometimes. Some don't. I mean, yeah. some do I wanted to ask, do you believe in just authority, like rightful authority? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't believe in troublemaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's unsafe. It's uh, terrible. And so um, that was, I tried that for uh, nine months. I, might, I even met my headmaster while I was sweeping the floor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, you should have stayed at the heaven, you know. He was, he was really quite disgusted to see me sweeping the streets of Colwyn Bay. <laughs> so. And do you think this this feeling of um, sort of a critique of authority, do you think that bled into your political critique? It may well have done, but I just didn't like people taking it out on others in that way, you know, just for no good reason. Because you talked about George Gross and you said that when you were in the 1970s, you felt that the 1970s had the symptoms or the elements of fascism that Gross had um, encountered in, in Weimar Germany. Oh, yeah, and do, do you feel so. that in the in the person of Nixon, just someone that you've... I thought of him in the same way as him. Why? I, I just thought that they were expressing themselves in, in, from the, using their worst aspects of their own characters and almost turning them in, hit, into Hitlerian I mean, in a way, subconsciously wanted to be Hitler figures, you know, because they could do what they wanted, you know. They could express themselves through the underlings, if you like, by bullying them. 
treat them badly. And uh, it was from that, because of my connection with the Blitz and that being, I brought up knowing that Hitler was the man who caused all this treatment, you know, all this mess. And funny, just that the road, we, we don't, in our street, you could go out the next morning after a blitz and look to see, oh, that house is gone. Uh, like that, you know, imagine how. And then we'd go looking for pieces of uh, shrapnel, yeah. you know, the molten metal that was blown up a bomb and things. Where were you living during the blitz? Uh, a place called Morton, which is just near Wallasey and Liverpool. Right, right. So it was quite close yeah. to it all. And, and a lot of bombs were just dropped mm. on the way, but you know, German bombers going back home mm -hmm. would just drop whatever they got left over mm. and it would land up yeah, arbitrarily. So, is that what you were thinking of when Vietnam was going on? Were you sort of trying to empathize with Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't have the same uh, um, connection with mm -hmm. Vietnam because it's only. It was just over when I went to America. Ah, okay. So I didn't really get that sort of sense that American young people would have had. You know, mm -hmm. you know and uh, it's something that I guess I I wanted to get away from bombing and things like that. But one would be, you see, in some ways I consider drawings to be a kind of uh, it's it's a way of it's weird being violent without hurting anybody mm -hmm. you know you can you can say the worst thing about somebody and upset someone that way and but you don't physically hit them or do anything like that you see so, and that's it, it kind of i know that over the years that's been there that sense of you know physical violence mm -hmm. and and then the use of Call it intellectual violence. Uh, Isn't drawing intellectual yeah. violence? Yeah, yeah. So you say intellectual violence is drawing or or writing about it. Mm. You see, it's, um, it's it, Wittgenstein was one who said the only thing of value is the thing you cannot say, but mm. if you can see it, so you draw it, you go, wow, I know what you mean now. Mm. If you see, trying to express it in words, you can't quite do it. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't come quite. It doesn't come quite. Come out. A lot of people have said that you expressed feelings that they had through well, your drawing. That's good if people did, you know, because that's what they were feeling. But it's better that they just feel it, see it, and think, oh, that's, you know, I mean, in a way, my drawing is a kind of custard pie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that sort of way of it. Sorry, carry on. No, no, I. I <laughs> you can interrupt. Uh, okay, so um, you, you said it was uh, your duty to sort of uh, attack this sense of injustice to change the world. Do you, do you believe that's true of artists in general, or just was that just your own personal? Um, well, it's my personal, but I mean, there's so many, you know, it's sort of, uh, I sort of thought it's many of, of uh, Picasso's work, as Guernica, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, that yeah. was all about, it was against the bullying of a town in Spain, yeah, mm -hmm. do you, But do you feel that artists have a responsibility to I speak think so. Out? They can do something. Mm. They speak out mm. and they, they draw out, they yeah. paint out. Mm -hmm. 
and they and they and it's such a good it's such a useful um, uh, tool to yeah. use to be able to draw it out you know you express it some in some kind of I mean I was feeling that with looking at the work of Gilray and the Hogarth and all that we see we have a very strong that was the difference I noticed about going to America and from here was that we have a very strong uh, tradition of that kind of art, that expressive art, the, that wasn't just a, a pretty picture, but it was about some actual so social event that was happening, you know, gin lane, you know, Beer Street, things that people were doing in their uh, daily lives, uh, a drunk woman holding a baby that was falling in, mm -hmm. in gin lane. Um, was a frightening thing, you know. And before that, that was before photography or anything like that. So they were so important to express the injustices that were going on or the stupidity that was going on with some people. That gave me the um, motivation to want to do it. And you sort of came of age in the satire boom that yeah, was happening at the happened, time. Yeah, so I worked for their private eye. And so you, you said um, that you're not still not proven as an artist uh, that some people consider you a cartoonist. Uh, yeah, that's what somebody said in your yeah. sneering. Right, right. Said, yeah, oh, but you're who not said really that? An artist, are you? You're only a cartoonist. Right. At, at what point do you think uh, someone can be considered an artist as opposed to a, a mere cartoonist? Oh, I think you. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, people say that... Uh, Tracy, Tracy Emin is, mm. a, is, a, is an artist, and also they say... You don't think Tracy Emin is an artist? Not much, no, but anyway. <laughs> I just saw stuff at uh, White Q, yeah. it did sort of like sketches yeah. of... Well, she does sketches now. Yeah. Well, she's good, is she? Well, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm not in the place <laughs> so to speak. On, it's quite funny that David Hockney you know, and um, there were a couple of things that happened. I went to, uh, in 1980, I went to uh, British Week, it was called, in Aspen, Colorado, and he was there. He was wearing a, a white um, flat hat, you know, like yeah. a, it was a, a, a posh hat, you know, right, right. quite posh, really. And so I was using, doing this, these Polaroids at the time, right. I called Paranoids. <laughs> well, I would adjust them. You know, you could actually. Oh, yeah, you did. Uh, in the beginning, you could they make their motion move, you see, yeah, yeah. while it was still warm, you know. Well, it's a, I mean, and in a somewhere like uh, Turkey, somewhere, which is where I first used yeah. them, it was quite warm there. And, yeah, uh, time. and then, then yeah. you could move the. And you could make caricatures. You know, so I've got. Is it like, like they're melting? Like, yeah, well, they're they're melting, exactly. melting. So you move it more. No. Actually, while we're um, sort of talking down Tracy Emin, do you feel like artists, because you use like quite anthropomorphic forms, you like use animals, yeah. and you're quite like, you're like, almost like an action painter in some sense. Yeah. Do you think artists should use forms that people can understand and, and know? It depends how they want to communicate. Yeah. I, I mean, if but they want they to use be, the language that if they wish to be obscure, they have every yeah. right to be obscure. Mm -hmm.
when I did uh, start doing social comment rather than political work, I wanted to do more social comment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, inventing uh, uh, like I did a series on tramps, and it was um, no, the, the lady sits down. Of course, the woman horrified when this tramp sits next to her, and then so she moves away from him, and says, so "Yeah, oh, that's lovely. Give me some." <laughs> some space to sit as well. <laughs> Make a pillow out of it. Amazing. <laughs> and that was the first cartoon I ever had published. Really? Yeah. NASA, who's he? That was NASA, 1956. So, because you've said that you started off wanting to change the world and you feel that you've you know, made, it, made it worse. Made it worse, yeah. So you, all of your pictures of politicians like Nixon and um, a number yeah. of different yeah scenarios. Yeah. Did you feel that because if, if you look at the Rolling Stone or cover um, yeah. the Watergate story, you can see his face melting, things like that. Yes. Do you feel like that had an impact? That I, I was hoping because that you you open a history book and you see that picture. Yeah. Well, I, I was hoping that I was hoping that it would have that effect, <laughs> as I say about that Wittgenstein remark about seeing something and you immediately know when you see it somebody describes it for you with a drawing or mm -hmm. and not not in words but in a picture it's far more it's far more convincing and descriptive mm -hmm. to express it in a picture and so it has more effect i mean on the memory as well when you see something that, wow, I like that, you know, yeah. I like Francis Bacon and, and you see his work, you know, one is, you don't forget the look of it, you know. Yes, so, yeah. Because it's, it's so, almost... So people like him... Uh, they say that journalism is the first draft of history, but like, great artists can actually create just history. Almost. Maybe, if you go here. If you go here, if you... <laughs> If, if you're Francis Bacon, but no, if you're Ralph Leonardo Stephen, da Vinci, I tried to do it, you know. Yeah. And, so, uh, so your role as a political artist, because in, in Nazi Germany, for example, when you had like things like Bauhaus, they were considered oh God, I loved them degenerate yeah. art, right? This yeah. is the art, and the Nazis felt that they needed to shut this kind of stuff down because it, you know, it might have had an effect, or maybe they were paranoid. No, no they. Yeah. Hitler realized how dangerous it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why he didn't like any of that stuff. He wanted to burn it all. And they burned books. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean books were themselves are full of ideas, you know, that they just wanted to uh, destroy that. That's so you're. About, about the worst part of fascism is, is repression, mm -hmm. you know, to, un, to un, unenlighten people, to turn them into. Roots, really, mm -hmm. and it's it's a terrible, it's the biggest crime of all. So your pictures, the pictures of Nixon behind a wall of uh, guards with their faces sort of covered with a visor, right? and so that's authority. And then you have the, the the politician, and then you have pictures like Nixon's face melting. You feel like you had an effect. And well, I, one, I, I never met him, so, mm -hmm. so I don't really know. But I did meet. Uh, I did you meet, once met his brother, didn't you? Hmm? I, I think in Long, Long Island. You said you met. You met. 
Nixon's brother in the line. Yeah, that, that's right. It was, yeah. it was uh, the Rhode Island. The Rhode Island. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and uh, and he looked like Nixon too. Though. I yeah. did a drawing of him standing there with a drink, and he had a drink on it. Mother, you know these pillars, <laughs> the the table on the pillar. You know what I mean? He had remember his drink uh, because I was going to write. It was a ridiculous thing to think of, really, but. Hunter and I got on this boat. Well, during the day, we'd walked along the jetty, looking at all the boat uh, um, positions where they were, and uh, and these were these are million-dollar yachts, you know. Mm -hmm. And we were going. Well, I was going to write F the Pope along one of the boats. Yeah, and it was like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I'd done it, I, I would never have left America. <laughs> prison for life. Yeah. But there are politicians that you did like. So I mean, you, you dis, you've said that you dislike yeah. Blair, for example, but you like George McGovern. You, you had I yeah, know, George I like, McGovern. Like him, and I also like um, um, Dennis Healy. Dennis Healy, uh -huh. and he was a really, really nice man. Yeah, I imagine. There was also a time where you drew a, whim, a woman in an unappealing light, I think, in the Kentucky Derby as well. In what light? In like un, unappealing light. And when yeah, I think it was someone's been... wife that you were talking to, and you were oh, getting yes, too, no, too no, yes, I drew that. Comfortable. And, and then she says, I hate this. Stop me. I'm going to draw you. <laughs> <laughs> and Hansa, stop that filthy scribbling. <laughs> 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 so that's how that went. It was, uh, it was an unfortunate thing, but I, I just used to have a sketchbook and to, mm. to, you know do anything. In the, in the, but I didn't really think. I thought it would have an effect, but I didn't think it. It's the, the personal effect, like that a woman who mm -hmm. didn't like being drawn like that. Yeah. So you're obviously touching a nerve that you're unaware of that mm -hmm. they suffer from. Mm -hmm. so, and I mean suffer from because some people can get really quite uptight about the way they. Yeah. You know. It's like Hunter with his slightly askew leg, right? Yeah, that's it's right. About yeah. almost like exploding that into. Yes, it was a caricature. caricature it's very strange, yeah. yeah. Yes, it was a, but the, it was a very peculiar walk. The way. I mean, it's almost as though he was walking like diagonally. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, was feelings that felt like that way, you know. So uh, he used to actually collect the um, the uh, milk money from, you know, he'd go around with the milkman. He used to have a milkman going around in in uh, Louisville, uh -huh. and uh, um, he would be the guy that went and he'd be employed. To go and pick the money up, ask, ask the people for. So I think he must have been a big boy, you know. And yeah, uh, all of his brothers were big. Well. Yeah, and Davis, you know, Davis, Davison. Um, I drew him too, and he really hated it. You know, you see, that's the other thing that they had. They weren't really used to the idea of people drawing them. <laughs> they considered it an, an insult. Did you, did you think they considered it a? Almost like a European thing, sort of decadent. Well, European they're, they're just, uh, yes, we're used to it over mm -hmm. here. We don't, we caricatures, you know, cartoonists do pictures with faces of people. And, and 
I, I realized that they considered it their personal. And, and like you said to someone, you know, you ugly son of a bitch, you know, <laughs> and why you say that? And it's a, it's a, but it, but it was a cartoon <laughs> and it was meant to be a little funny and amusing in some way, but perhaps it didn't look amusing to them because you were perhaps bringing out a weakness in them. Mm -hmm. So you've said that you were a rabble rouser, and, and obviously, you know, you've hurt women, you've hurt politicians, you've hurt loads mm. of people. But why did you stop drawing politicians? Uh, because I started doing animals and, and birds. Mm -hmm. And I, I got called by this guy, Kelly Levy, who um, said, do I do, do I draw animals? And I said, oh, I'll, I'll have a go. I said, well, I have done them, but um, by the end of the week, I think we had about 20 odd done, you know. And I said, well, let's do a book together. So we did the birds book first, and then went down through the others, and then critical critters. And it, it seemed like an important thing to do, oh, yes, to just do a book about uh, endangered species. Mm -hmm. And it became a a goodly kind of activity, you know, because I said, really, no, because that's what happened. Hunter said, oh, stupid little grapes. You now worship stupid little grapes. When I started doing Parodbins, the wine merchant, <laughs> I started going to wine merchant, you know, to wine country and seeing different grapes being grown, and how they make the wine and all that. And, I, and then Hunter sneered at that. He thought, stupid little grapes. <laughs> and I don't think he was much of a... He did drink wine, but I think he was more of a whiskey than you know, a bourbon. So, Simon, do you have some questions? Yeah, I had just a couple uh, questions, Ralph, for you, if that's okay. Um, one was around your work uh, with Hunter S. Thompson on the Fear and, Lo uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail in 1972, which did cover the Democratic race and George McGovern, who you, you mentioned. Uh, what are your memories of the sort of Democratic primaries and of that election? I found it a bit of a circus, actually. <laughs> I almost couldn't take it seriously because I thought, no, these people are quite ridiculous. We, we seem to take it much more seriously over here. Mm -hmm. And it seems that over there, it had more of a picturesque quality to it. You know? yeah. Apparently, I, I staggered into Sam Irvin at the at the uh, Watergate hearings, and, uh, Hunter was just called me a, a drunken fool from <laughs> from, uh, from England. He didn't. Uh, he didn't have. Well, he used to. We, you know, he used to. You remember the fax machine? Yes. He was always sending me fax machines, and there were. They were like insults. They were insults, really. <laughs> he 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 just he found a very useful tool tool to use, and then we talk on the phone after, and I said, "What do you mean by that?" And, that. and it's fuck you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he didn't. Uh, I think he kind of liked me, and but he liked he liked to abuse me in that way, you know. Uh. 
What about this picture? Oh, that's a, is that, that's, yeah. Of the convention. Come home, America. Come home, America. Why, yeah. why have you got crocodiles? Well, that's how I felt about all the people there. <laughs> that in fact they were all smiling and blah, you know, but but in fact they were abusive and um, not to be trusted because they were all trying to bet against George McGovern. Yeah, yes, I think so. Yeah. And why do you have like light streaming from the top? Is that what? light streaming from the top? That is probably God looking down. <laughs> <laughs> It's, you know, America is so important. Well, <laughs> so God would, he would consider America his most, <laughs> most uh, uh, beautiful creation. How do you think uh, religion sort of plays a role then in American politics compared to maybe over here? Do you think it's more prominent and it's more on, on, it on the surface? I think it's, it's very strange. It's as though they have it in Israel and, you know, uh, um, in the Hula Valley and and the Golan Heights and I mean I went I went to the Wailing Wall and to see all that sort of stuff. But they don't have that kind of thing in America, but they like to think they have, and they yeah. they build these small religions. Mm. You know. Think of Mormonism, right? Yeah, Mormons. Yeah, that's America that's... is the only sort of post uh, post sort of 19th century religion. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's, it's a a, or a millenarian feeling that I think this fight, is the country. Yes, where, and they're fighting against, yeah. subconsciously, they're fighting against modernism. Yeah. You know, the, no, no, we're the biblical crowd. We, we, we really are. We believe in God and, and all that stuff. It's yeah. almost like an Israelite thing. Yeah? Yes. John God's so chosen true. people or that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you have Nixon's ripping the heart out of, of the country here. Do you feel the Nixon thing was, like, almost, like, Sacrilege I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was um, uh, what's the word, metamorphic, um, you know, I think, yeah, I thought he was a monster, you know, but um, I prefer him to Trump, <laughs> because at least he was a real politician. Yeah, yeah, you said in the past that just exactly that, around the fact that he may be a bad politician, but at least he was sort of an in, in proper one. At least he was a politician. What, yeah. what did you did you ever think America would elect someone like Trump? I didn't think it was going to happen. I, I really thought that they'd go for uh, um, Clinton. Uh, Clinton. Yeah. yeah, I really thought that uh, it was one. One saw immediately what he was. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. what we call him a twat. <laughs> do you think he could get elected in England, or do you think the well the great English well, press Nigel, would uh, satirise? We got N Nigel Farage. Yeah, he's he's very snobbish. Actually. Yeah, you know, it's something I don't like about him. Do you do you uh, think do you think Trump kind of represents the worst of America with regards to how he's kind of built his rep his kind of money on greed and being able to sort of take money away from. Yeah, uh, with, with the schemes, and then he also sort of uses a, a fake sort of religion side as well to kind of. Yeah, he does, and he would take he would take he would take credit for that. Yeah, you know, he would almost say, "Well, yes, Jesus came to visit Washington." Mm. You know, and he would take credit for Jesus coming, or somehow <laughs> calling himself Jesus. <would> be. 
it would be uh, he would certainly take credit for that because he'd know it was a popular thing to do. Mm-hmm. How do you think Hunter S. Thompson would have dealt with a, a Trump presidency and a Trump election? I wish I, I always wish that that's one thing I do feel we've missed out on is Hunter being around with Trump. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a mix. I mean, a, <laughs> a Trumper Hunter, <laughs> something monstrous about that. Connecting um, an image of Trump and Hunter together mm-hmm. as an animal, as one animal. <laughs> that would be quite interesting. To yeah, that would be. Final question then for yourself, Rolf. Uh, we kind of talked about legacy for for yourself as far as, uh, well, in part, you know, kind of continuing the tradition of political cartoons and of perhaps making the world a worse place. I don't know. Not sure about that. But do, do you think... How do you think America? How do you think political cartoons are now, and do you think that you've actually changed how they've been kind of how they've evolved? Do you think you've helped evolve that tradition of political uh, cartoons? Well, I, I like to think I perhaps took it back a bit to the you know to the Gilrays and the Hogarths and made people more aware of that kind of cartooning that mm-hmm. was more more relevant and useful mm-hmm. and wasn't just a funny picture, you know, yep. that they actually had a a definite political and social um, uh, comment awareness on about yep. that made people more use it more for a reason, you know. If they do a political cartoon, they wanted to have an effect. Yeah, yep. political cartoons almost like sometimes they're quite derivative. I think the structure is just the picture, yeah. the comment. Yeah. But your stuff is much more expressive, it's a feeling. That's what I'd like, it. that's what I wanted it to be. You know? mm-hmm. Well, I d- definitely think you've achieved that, Ralph. I don't but, think... But, be... I, but I, I didn't want to be a bully. <laughs> yes. I can't no. bully, so... No. Well, I mean, they, they talk about, you know, punching up or punching down, and, you know, how Trump very much punches down on the people below him. I think well, you're in, in the fine tradition of punching up against authority. Yeah, yes. He's, he's a definite... Um, Bully. Yes, he loves it. He loves uh, causing trouble like that, and and always taking credit for it. You know. Yep. Oh uh, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll one day get back to the good politicians like Nixon. We can only hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless you. Yeah. <laughs> Nixon and Trump. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Me absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they come along here and there, don't they? That's it. I don't know what else to say now. Well, I think that's... You've left me speechless. <laughs> that, that's what happens when you speak to Toby. That's just his general impression. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could be... Uh, <laughs> Thompson. No, Thompson. Nick, Nixon. I'm the first Nick. authority figure to leave him speechless. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you are definitely Nixonian, Toby. There's no doubt. <laughs> yeah, you are, yeah. Ralph, Toby, Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure. Ralph in particular, thank you so much. Well, thank you for thank you. Uh, for for listening to me as though I was entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, from Ralph, Toby, Steve and myself, Simon, um, thank you again for listening to this episode of Impressions of America. And uh, yes, we'll be back in the near future, not with Ralph, but uh, Ralph's cartoons live on. And of course, uh, if you are listening to this, please check out his most excellent work, It is uh, a library full of uh, fantastic work. Uh, Thank you very much and have a good day. Thank you. Bye.